0: Amen. Well, as a way of encouraging all of us to stay in the Bible this summer, if you were here at the beginning of the summer, you realize I gave you a pretty good challenge at the start of the summer. I challenged and invited all of you to read the 52 chapters of the book of Jeremiah all in four weeks, the longest book of the Bible. So kudos to all of you who started your summer by making it through Jeremiah. Maybe some of you are still working your way through. Keep at it, okay? Well, I got another easier challenge to maybe carry you through the end of the summer, to keep you in the Word. Because we're going to be spending the next five weeks together in the book of James. It's about as polar opposite as you can get from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of prophecy. James is the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's one of the shorter books of the Bible. Instead of 52 chapters of Jeremiah, there's only five chapters in James. And James is is easy to read, and it's known for being one of the most practical, life-applying books in all of Scripture. So let me give you a different kind of challenge here. Here's your challenge for the next five weeks, for the end of the summer. It's a pattern and a style of reading Scripture that, that maybe is new for you but has been effective for, for many people throughout, throughout the centuries. I wanna challenge you to take the book of James one chapter at a time, one chapter a week. And so your assignment, Jeremiah, was read a whole bunch of chapters throughout the week, right? For James, I want you to read one chapter. So for this week, it's James chapter one. And I want you to take time to read it every day this week, the same chapter, Okay. And and maybe you'll you'll read it and then find your quiet place that you found back in Lent. Remember, we challenge you to spend 10 minutes of quiet a day with God. Read the first chapter of James every day this week. And then sit quietly and hear what God has to say. Because my guess is, as you read that same chapter again and again throughout the week... He's going to either reinforce something that he, he brought to mind that first week, that, you, that first day you read it, or he's going to bring some new idea that you would have missed if you hadn't gone back again. So I want you to linger over that chapter for a week. Maybe read it in a different translation. Maybe read it from the kids' Bible, as Mindy uh, showed us this morning. Okay? So one chapter a week each day through the book of James we're going to start with James chapter 1, obviously, page 977 in the Bibles in front of you. We're going to get a head start on James chapter 1. See, James is known, if you're familiar with with scripture, James is known for being the book that declares, he does in chapter 2, faith without deeds is dead. Okay, which... Which often sets off a theological debate, right? Because Paul talks about how all you need is faith and you don't need works. And James here says, no, you need works as well. And, and oftentimes it becomes a theological debate on the relationship between faith and works. But know right up front, as we begin to read the book of James, that James' whole point is not to set faith and works off against each other as opposites, as, as enemies... Instead, his whole point in his book is to bring faith and works together as partners that depend on each other. Because faith and works, he says, will always be found together. If you have faith, then your life will show it. The works will be there. If we are truly God's people, then we will live like God's people. Because our actions in life will reflect what we truly believe. So in these five chapters, James makes a point of showing us how people of faith live out their faith. How our actions reflect our faith, or how our actions reflect how little our faith is. Our actions show how alive it is, our faith is, or how dead it is. And that's where we start this morning. We're going to start at the end of chapter 1. It talks about our daily choices and and how our daily actions don't always match the faith we profess. Pick it up at verse 22 with me of James chapter 1. He says this: He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right, J- James here, he wants his first century listeners And he wants us as 21st century listeners to be absolutely clear on the importance of both listening to the word of God and doing what his word says. Because being a true follower of Jesus Christ is so much more than an intellectual assent to a set of truths. Right, we, we just saying I believe, right? In uh, in a number of the songs, we just say I believe this, I believe that, I believe that, and that is so important to know what we believe. We spend a lot of time and energy learning truth and, and teaching it to our children. And we need to know the truth of who God is and what Jesus did on the cross and how the Holy Spirit works today. And we need to know the truth of forgiveness and of redemption and salvation and life transformation. And we need to know the truth of forgiveness and, and, and the truth of 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 how to live a holy life at God's direction, right? And and there's always gonna be so much more for us to know and learn about God. So all of us, young and old, we need to have a lifetime commitment to learning, to always be a continual learner in God's classroom. But James says... We also need to know that all of that learning, your lifetime of learning is empty and useless if we don't pair it with doing. If it doesn't change our daily lives at all. That's what James proclaims in chapter 2. You're going to read it next week. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I will show you my faith by my deeds. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He binds them so closely together. Faith and deed, you can't pull them apart. And James is right to bind them that tightly together. Because Jesus did the same thing. Right? Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Remember his story, the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25? It illustrates this truth that James is making here soberingly clearly. Remember, he he's separating, he's telling the story about separating the sheep from the goats, and, and the goats go off to his left, and, and he says to them this, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Not because you didn't know the truth. He says, because I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick, I was in prison, and you did not look after me. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. So Jesus tied them together. The Apostle Paul who who often Theologians set Paul and James off against each other, right? Paul said the same thing, Romans 2, verse 13. He says, it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And that truth, binding those two things together, it applies so much to us today. Our lives must be transformed day by day as we read this book if we're sitting here every Sunday listening to sermons, reading this, a chapter of this book together, if we're at home every single day doing our daily devotions, if we're listening to, to Christian music on the radio in the car all the time and it's not affecting our lives at all, we're not doing anything differently because of it, And James says it's worthless. Do not merely listen to the word, he said, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And James' message here is what makes our honest self-evaluation so very important. He says we must hold the word of God up to our lives as a mirror to see how we're doing here. And honestly, whenever we compare who God calls us to be in his word and who we really are, if we are honest in our self-evaluation, know that we will always fall short. Always. And isn't that why so many of us find it so hard to be honest? Why so many of us find ways not to be honest? with ourselves. James tells us how we do that, right? So often we pick up God's word, maybe in our personal devotions or, or in the hour we sit here on Sunday and we look intently into it and, and we hold it up as a mirror into our lives. And while we sit here, in this room or, or while we sit in a chair in our living room for, for our 10 minutes of devotions in the morning, we look honestly at, at who God wants us to be and, and who we really are and, and we wrestle with that and we hear God calling us to be, to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and gentle and faithful and to be filled with self-control. And we, we hear God calling us to be poor in spirit, to be meek, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker. And we hear God calling us to be people who forgive and people who serve, who give to the hungry and the thirsty and the poor and the sick and the stranger. And we nod our head in agreement and we say yes and, and maybe even we pray afterwards, God, that's who I want to be. And then we shut the book or we walk out of church on, at 11 or whatever it's going to be this morning and nothing changes. We go back to living exactly the way we were before. We make no effort to let the transforming power of God change us into the kind of people His word calls us to be. We look in that mirror and then we walk away and forget what we saw. We speak the words, don't live the life. We hear, but we don't do. And James, along with Jesus, along with Paul, says that's unacceptable. This disconnect between what we hear and what we do has to stop. You know, James doesn't use the words here, but what he's really pointing to is our hypocrisy, isn't he? A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be who they really aren't. And the word was actually born out of a Greek word, Hippocrates, right? That's their term for an actor up on a stage. You go and see a a hypocrite when you go to a play. It's somebody who's pretending to be somebody who they really aren't. Well, we are that actor on the stage in life so often, aren't we? Or maybe in this room. Or maybe for those 10 minutes in our devotional life. We're pretending to have virtues and principles that we don't actually possess when our religious actions and our piety are separated from our daily living. When, we, when who we are as we sit here on Sundays is different from who we are at work or at school or out on the playing field or when we're home alone or when we're out with friends for the weekend. And the truth is, as long as there is this community called the church, there will be hypocrisy. Jesus made it clear, even as he was beginning this community called the church, as God was was creating his family, right? There's always going to be hypocrisy here. And the first reason Jesus points out is that there's going to be hypocrisy here because there's non-believers in the family of God. There's people who are choosing hypocrisy as a way of life. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable about the field that has both wheat, the good wheat, and weeds, the bad weeds, growing up together in the field. Somebody scattered weeds all in amongst the wheat. And the servant asks his, his master, should we go through the field and pull those weeds out? And Instead, the master says, no, let them grow. Let them grow together because you'll do too much damage if you pull them out now. We'll sort them at the end. That sobering story gives us a picture of the kingdom of God right here in our community, right? There are people in the church of Jesus Christ who are simply pretending to be followers of Jesus. They're simply going through the religious motions, but they really haven't given Jesus full control of their lives they aren't letting the Holy Spirit transform them and change them. They aren't making their choices in life according to what God wants for them. They're making their choices in life according to what they want. There's people participating in the church for outward reasons of status or tradition or whatever other motivation they might have. Something other than a truly sold out saving relationship with Jesus. There's pretenders, hypocrites playing the part will always be in this community. But before we find it too easy to look around and point fingers at other people, We need to realize that hypocrisy isn't just out there. It's right here within each and every one of us. We need to hold this mirror up to ourselves as well and dare to see where our lives do not match God's design. That's, That's what Jesus commands us to do in Matthew 7. He warns us, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, don't just look around at everybody else. Hold that mirror up to yourself first. Jesus goes on in that chapter to warn about picking the sawdust out of somebody else's eye before you when you have a plank in your own eye. Too many times we become experts at pointing out the hypocrisy of somebody else, but we aren't honest about ourselves. But so often, like actors, you and I hide behind our masks, don't we? Our masks that show everybody around us, everybody in this room, you know what? I've got my life all put together. I'm good. Our masks that show everybody else around us, sitting in this room, that we're strong. Nothing can faze us. Our masks that show everybody around us yeah, I'm not a sinner. Not me. I don't struggle. I don't have doubts. I've got a faith that doesn't ask any questions. I've got a life that doesn't have any problems. That's the masks we wear. And we need to remember when we walk into this community, into this room, that the church of Jesus Christ is not a place for people who have their lives all put together, who have their faith all all nicely laid out. We are not a gathering of perfect people. We are a gathering of people who know they are imperfect, imperfect. In fact, being a sinner and recognizing our sin is a requirement for being a part of this family. It's a requirement for being a Christian. It requires an honest acknowledgement of sin from anybody who wants to be a part of the family of God. So we might as well stop the hypocrisy and start being honest about it, right? All of us here are here because we are sinners in need of grace, not because we are perfect. We are a community of sinners. We are a community of broken people. We are a community of messed up people. And too often we treat the church like a private country club, don't we? We set certain standards that people need to meet if they want to be a part of this community. If you want to join us, you got to reach this standard, a certain level of goodness to be accepted. You got to meet this level of behavior if you're going to be a part of our community. And that's exactly backwards from how Jesus designed this community to work. I love the quote from from a man named Charles Morrison. He made it pretty clearly. He wrote this line. He said, the the Christian church is the only society in the world in which membership is based upon the qualification that the candidate shall be unworthy of membership. That's exactly right. Think about who Jesus went to. Jesus went to those who were unworthy and invited them into a community with him. Jesus found those whose bodies were rotting away. And he said, you belong here. Jesus went to those who were embezzling money from the poor in order to feed their rich lifestyles and said, you belong here. Jesus went to those whose marriages were falling apart and who decided to shack up instead of getting married again and said, you know what? You belong here with me. Jesus went to those whose sexuality was all messed up and he said, if you want to get better, come here because you belong here with me. Wow, that's hard for us, isn't it? We want people around us who have arrived, not who are in process. Because we're a lot more comfortable that way. And too often the church has become a place where broken people are dismissed, where broken people are shunned and set aside. You're welcome here until your marriage falls apart. Or you're welcome here as long as you have a healthy mind and a healthy body. You're welcome here until you commit a crime, then you're out. You're welcome here as long as you've got your sexuality all figured out. You're welcome here as long as you're good enough, right? The church of Jesus Christ is not about people, you and I, being good enough. It's about getting better in Jesus Christ. It's about honestly holding this mirror up to our faces. Holding up the word of God to my own personal life, to your personal life, to our communal life. And saying, this is who God wants me to be. I'm not there yet, but that's what I'm striving for. That's who I'm going to be. Day by day, I'm going to take one step closer And as a community, we come together, God says, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We come together to encourage one another in this journey. We come together because we all want to get better. And we need each other to make that happen. And that will only happen when we finally decide to be honest with each other about our struggles, about our weaknesses, about who we truly are. Most likely that will happen in small groups as you get connected to a small group. And the only way that we'll be honest is if we choose to stop pretending, if we take off our masks and we begin to trust each other. And the only way that works is if this community becomes a safe place where we spur each other on where we encourage each other instead of condemning each other. That's that's what coming to this table here this morning, to the sacrament, is really all about, isn't it? Every single one of us in a few minutes, when when you hold the bread and, and, and you hold the juice, you are declaring publicly for everybody sitting around you to see. You're declaring publicly not that you're worthy enough to be at this table, that you're good enough, you are declaring by holding that bread and that juice publicly that you're a sinner in need of God's saving grace. You're confessing your own hypocrisy that there's a distance between who God has called you to be and who you really are. And you're depending on His grace to bridge that gap. So Jesus calls us boldly to be people who both hear God's word and then we do God's word. Our response to hypocrisy, to that gap between our hearing and our doing is to shrink that gap, to give God permission to transform us as individuals, and as a community into who he has called us and created us to be. And I think we can all honestly admit that in this life on this earth, none of us will ever be perfect. But we can all be better, right? We can all be better by God's power, by God's grace, by God's strength. We can all give God a little more control over our lives so there's less of that distance between who we are today and who Jesus Christ is. The distance between who God has called us to be and what our daily lives look like must continue to shrink. And when we look in the mirror, I hope that you and I more and more See the face of Jesus Christ coming clear to us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we might be pretty good at fooling each other. We might be pretty good at putting masks on that deceive the people around us into thinking that we don't struggle, that we don't have doubts. We might be pretty good at being one person on Sunday and a totally different person that no one would recognize on Saturday or Monday or any other day of the week. But you know us through and through, and our masks don't hide anything from you. You know us for who we really are and you still deeply, deeply love us. That is grace. And so Father, first I thank you for not abandoning us, for not giving up on us, but instead for loving us so much that you send your son Jesus to die and rise again for us so that the gap might be bridged so that your spirit might be set free into our lives to transform us and change us. And so, Father, I ask that you would convict each one of us here this morning. Convict us of maybe just that next right step, that next one step of becoming more obedient to what we know and what we've heard, of becoming more like Jesus in one specific area of our lives, of applying what we read in James 1 this week specifically to our lives. Convict us and then give us the strength of your spirit to let our deeds and our actions match what we say we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can invite the elders who are going to help me serve communion. Would you please come forward at this time?